1: Hello, and welcome to another fabulous episode of Dear Multi-Hyphenate. I'm your host, Michael Kushner, and this is the fifth time I'm recording this introduction. One of the other times, um, my puppy started barking, and another time I burped, and, uh, yeah, it's just, I, I think the hardest thing about recording podcasts is probably the intro. Um, for some reason, I, it takes me hours, not hours, but, like, you know, it feels like it. Anyway welcome, hi, I'm so excited that you're joining me for this episode featuring Ila Mel and Tony winner Derek McLean, but before we jump into the episode, please rate, subscribe, comment, follow on social media, do all that good stuff because these episodes are for you, so I, I want to know what works, I want to know what you like. You could also follow on social media at DearMultiHyphenate or at the Michael Kushner. Uh, that's a great way to keep in touch, and uh, and yeah, and and be the first to know when um, I'm having a conversation with potentially one of your favorite artists. I don't know if you're you're feeling it, but wow, I'm. Uh, I literally looked at my my friend and makeup artist Sarah today and was like, "What day is? This, Wednesday? It's Monday. It's Monday. It's not Wednesday. It's Monday." I'm just feeling. Feeling all sorts of things. And that's okay. We're allowed. We're artists. We're human beings. But I am really excited because, you know, my book, How to Be a Multi-Hyphenate in the Theater Business, Conversations, Advice, and Tips from Dear multi published by Rutledge Publishing, is out now. And it sold out at the drama bookshop. So they had to order more. That's pretty cool. I like that. That's a good sign. Um, But if you haven't gotten your copy now, you could get it at the Drama Bookshop because it's, you know, restocked. Or you can get it online at Amazon, Rutledge Publishing, Barnes & Noble. Um, But I'm also starting a book tour. So I might be coming to a place near you. And if I'm not, you could always write me and be like, come to my school, come to my this, come to my that. But I'm kicking it off with where I'm from, where I'm raised, and that is South Florida. So I will be in South Florida from March 31st. To April fourth, where I will be at the University of Miami, Coral Springs Center for the Arts, Taravella High School, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, Cooper City High School, Monarch High School, and Barry University. Uh, the Coral Springs Center for the Arts and Barry University ones are open to the public. So, if you're down there and want to say hi, uh, follow me on Instagram at the Michael Kushner or at dear multi it where I will be announcing all of that good stuff. So. See you in South Florida. Oh, I'm so excited. And also, if you're listening to this and you need new headshots, you know, um, I figured why not give a discount to my listeners that can sh- that can fo- photograph with me. Um, so if you submit on my website, www.michaelkushnerphotography.com and you fill out a form for a, a headshot session with me, and you use multi at 100, I'll take $100 off your next session. How's that? How's that for a devoted podcast creator, huh? Yeah. Yeah. See you in the studio. And I just wanted to send a big congrats to a lot of the shows that are opening. You know, Sweeney Todd, Parade, Dancing. Um, what else we got? We got uh, Bad Cinderella. So many... So many great shows, great people in those shows, and congrats on opening. And I also want to give another shout-out to um, another show that opened off-Broadway starring my fiancé, Remy Germanario, And he's in a show called Rough Trade written by Kev Berry, and that is at the Tank Theater. Um, The run is really – it's selling really well, so you might – if you want to go see a fabulous new gay play – I would get tickets because it's it's selling. It's, it's selling. So hop on it. Rough Trade at the Tank Theater. It's fabulous. And I'm so proud of my fiance. And we get married in like a month and a half, which is like... It's less than a month and a half. It's like a month and two weeks or something like that. Which is crazy. And I'm very excited. And um, maybe that's why I'm feeling some stress, huh? Maybe... Maybe. Ah, oh my God. For those of you that have gone through weddings, I, I salute you. I salute you. All right, let's get into this episode. Let's talk about Isla Mel first. Isla Mel is the author of Designing Broadway as well as the official guide to the hit television series Project Runway titled Project Runway, the show that changed fashion. Among her other books are New York Fashion Week and, with Ty Hunter, Makeover from Within, Lessons in Hardship, Acceptance, and Self-Discovery. Mel has been featured in the New York Times, Marie Claire, Glamour, and CBS's The Insider, as well as in the documentary Scatter My Ashes at Bergdorf's. Bergdorf's? Bergdorf's. Oh God, that felt weird in my mouth. At Bergdorf's, <laughs> am I okay? Who knows? Anyway, she is the co-host of the podcast Jiffy Pop Culture with comedian Frank Liotti. Isla, this Isla is the first um, the first guest recurring on Dear Multi Eyebit, which is really really exciting. Isla was on my episode with Carol Burnett, and it's a great conversation. So. Uh, Go listen to the Carol Burnett episode. It's pretty great. Now we also have Derek McLean. Derek McLean is an Emmy and Tony Award winning production designer for Broadway and television whose nearly 350 designs include, oh, I'm just going to name a few shows, MJ, Moulin Rouge, Beautiful, Noises Off, Gigi, How to Succeed in Business Without Even Trying with Daniel Radcliffe, Follies, Anything Goes, The Pajama Game. Oh, my gosh. Off-Broadway, we, uh, we have Merrily We Roll Along, Jerry Springer. The uh, There's so much that this man has done. It's so wild. Um, and, you know, he's also done... Uh, television shows as well you know six years of academy awards and nbc musicals like the sound of music peter pan the whiz and hairspray Derek is the chairman of the board of the new group theater and his many awards include two tony awards two emmys two obies two drama desks three lucille lortel awards and three art directors guild awards ah uh, i can't wait for you to listen to this episode i will let you know that for some reason i had a slight issue with my mic I don't know what happened um I try to fix it as best as I could, um, but please forgive me, tech issues do happen, but the conversation is great. Enjoy my conversation with Isla Mel and Derek McLean. Hello, you two. I got Derek McLean and Isla Mel here. How are you?
2: Good. We're happy to be here.
1: I'm so glad you're here. Now, Isla, you've already been here. I have. And we had a really, really exciting conversation with um, an upper an up and comer, someone that is really trying to make it in the industry. Um, Carol oh, yeah.
2: Burnett yeah
1: <laughs> her, her, we've heard of her. Um, that was such an incredible conversation we had and it was covered by people, which was really cool. Was- and, and I'm so glad that you took my my message because you know, so inspired by. The campaign of you know the majestic is fit for a prince and um I because I I'm a big history theater history person and um I really believe that it's 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 time for that so as soon as I saw I think what actually happened was I went on TikTok and I was like I think we should name the majestic the Harold Prince Theater or something like that not knowing that a campaign had already started and Yay. then. Yes. And then I saw that you were working on this with Madame Burnett. And that was when I reached out, being like, oh my God, can you guys come and talk about this on my podcast? And you made it happen. And that was really cool.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're still working on that campaign. So we still need support for that.
1: Someone actually came to my studio. I'm in my photography studio. Someone came to my studio the other day and asked me what was going on with that campaign so do you have an update how can we help like what's going on with that
2: well um you know we still would love people to make videos saying Mm -hmm. the majestic is fit for a prince and if you can tag the schubert organization that would be helpful we'd really just love to get a response from them
1: is there any fun so there hasn't been any response
2: no not yet really yeah yeah
1: no acknowledgement.
2: No, not yet. And, you know, some, a group, I won't name who they are, but a group reached out on behalf of our campaign and we haven't heard anything back yet. So we're we're still very hopeful, but if not the Schubert's, then, you know, perhaps another theater.
1: Wow, that is, I mean, yeah, I, you know, the Majestic would be nice to have it renamed as the Herald Prince Theater just because of Phantom, but I guess, you know, He did have quite a staple on other Broadway houses too, but you know, the Majestic isn't named after anyone. So it's like, we wouldn't be like erasing anyone's history. We would be starting someone's history. So
2: Exactly. And we Carol and I feel like the right time is when Phantom closes. So the clock is ticking on that.
1: It's true. All right. Well, we'll make sure that we tag. We'll do more videos. We'll tag the Schubert organization. But incredible people have been behind this. I mean, who has made some, who has made videos other than Carol? Rachel Brosnahan Uh, has. Julie Andrews. (laughs) <laughs> Another up and comer.
2: That's right. Um, Kristen Chenoweth has been very behind the campaign. Um, everybody, uh, everybody you can think of: Peter Gallagher, Cheyenne Jackson, oh, um, Lyndon Peters. So many people.
1: Wow, that is amazing. Well, we'll make sure that you know we get the word out to keep going. But um, yeah, yeah right. let's. Is is there is there any cause for donation? Is there any cause for fundraising? No, we
2: don't, no, we don't need any money. But if anyone has a direct Light of communication to the Schuberts, that would be extremely helpful if they got in touch.
1: Okay, you got it. So if anyone listening to this has a direct communication, then you know there's there's unfortunately no hotline that you can call the one eight hundred (laughs) Schubert Schuberts. You know what I'm saying. But um, if we if we can if we can um, if we can figure out how to get to them, we will. Um, Wonderful. That is a good update. Thank you for that. And you are also the first person to return to Dear Multihyphenate as my as a returning guest. Which
2: wow, what an I, honor!
1: I'm so honored. I love talking to you. So uh, I'm honored that you're in the space and a true multihyphenate. And now you're bringing a, a, another friend who I'm very excited to speak to, and that's Derek McLean. How are you?
0: I'm great. I'm so happy to be here. Excited really? to be talking to you today. Me too. Where are you calling from? Where are you calling from? I, I'm calling from, I've dialed in from my uh, my studio on West 38th Street. I design the studio. I'm sitting in my conference room. You can see some of my books sitting behind me.
1: Yes, I love it. Um, We are, you know, we're, Isla, you're not here in the city, right? You're.
2: I'm outside the city, but maybe like an hour outside.
1: I, I love it. I thought for some reason you were on the West Coast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel like you just like give me that vibe too. Like You're very. <laughs> by coastal, which is something I you know, something I would love to I feel like I'm like across the pond coastal. Like I feel like I give London at times, mainly just because <laughs> I studied abroad there and I'm gonna hold on to that till I, you know, forever. But um so we are talking about and I'm really excited about this conversation because I have a book that just came out as well. So we are talking about congratulations. Of, thanks so much and congratulations to you on designing Broadway. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. So let's start at the very beginning. Julie Andrews once said that it's a very good place to start. So, <laughs> you know, uh, if you want to text her about it, I'm sure she'll tell you all about it. Um, but uh, let's start at the very beginning with designing Broadway. Like, one of the things that I love to talk about is the why. You know, I learned about why with uh, my professor Cynthia Henderson at Ithaca College when at when asking yourself about your characters. Why studying, you know, the super objective, why are they speaking? What do they want? But that's so applicable to creators all the time, you know, like why um, do I feel the need to tell this story? So why did you both collaborate or, you know, why did you feel the need to create designing Broadway?
2: Well, it was my idea. Um, I had seen American son and I really liked the set and I found myself thinking about what the rooms that you didn't see on stage looked like.
0: Mm. That
2: set sort of stayed with me. And then I saw um, Moulin Rouge and it was, you know, same designer, Derek, uh, who I didn't know yet, but, you know, just different, very just luxe and beautiful and, you know, over the top and so much fun. And I had also seen a show called Good for Otto, which was an off-Broadway show with a very, you know, pared down set. And it was just interesting to me that the same designer was responsible for all three of these things. And they were so very different. And it just, you know, it made me want to talk about that.
0: So Isla called me up and, you know, suggested doing a book. Uh, together and you know about my designs and my first reaction was um, this was an absurd idea that because um, I'm well I'm way too young of course to have a book um, no I actually I felt like I, I you know I, I mean I, but honestly uh, that's not true but honestly I do feel like you know I, I'm very much still um, you know figuring out Design in a way, like I, you know, I still consider myself very much a student of design. Um, I'm still learning new things about it. I'm still a great admirer of all the work that my colleagues do, and I learn so much from from them. And I, you know, I guess I really did feel like, well, I'm not worthy of a book at this point. Uh, that's solely about uh, solely about my work, but that, you know, the the way that made sense to me it was if I could include the work of my incredible peers and um, uh, fellow designers who are working, you know, on Broadway, but also the people who preceded me, who all, you know, have s- such an enormous amount of influence on on, on my work, um, you know, both positively and negatively, um, that I thought that was really, you know, that is, to say sometimes I th- see things and I go, well, I, I wouldn't really do it that way, but it makes me think of uh, something about how I would want to approach a show. And then likewise I steal ideas from people all the time but I think we all do that we all we are all um, you know inspired and influenced by by our by our peers and uh, I find that really exciting I think that you know I think that uh, New York City Broadway is a bit of a hothouse uh, in that way in terms of you know the number of ideas that are created every year every season and and then what that sort of fuels for the following season and um, and so um, you know, I hope that we were able to capture some of that in this in this book, in in sort of the way we organized it, and looking you know looking at different types of designs and different different uh, ways of solving various problems.
1: That's awesome. Um, yeah, i I love what I love what you said. You know, especially I love just being like noticing the common denominator of the things that you were loving, and it's so funny. It's like. I'm not a Disney adult, but I do love Disney because I grew up there. I'm in, I'm from Fort Lauderdale. And the reason why I love Disney is the theatricality of it. Like I'm not one that drinks the Kool-Aid and is like standing in lane in in line to meet Mickey for, you know, an hour and a half. That's not, I love the four dimensional theatricality of it. The way that they are so specific in going into detail about certain things, the way that they choose a certain linen, if you are in Liberty square versus, you know, um, uh, frontier land, and the time period that is between the two, and the com. I love that so much. So, if you were to ask me, what's what's your favorite thing about Disney? Are you gonna ask me what my favorite thing about Disney is? Okay. What's
2: your favorite thing about
1: okay. Disney. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much. Um, uh, it's the windows, and it's the way that they're designed. Because I can't believe you said this, Isla. I've never really heard anyone say that is the, what are the rooms like that we don't see? And I'm getting the chills asking that question because that's what I love about Disney. And that's what I love about places like the National Theater, like subsidized theater, right? Like when I saw Juno and the Peacock there in 2012, they, I remember we had done like a talk back, and the designer who I don't know at the top of my mind, but built rooms Off stage, that the audience doesn't see, that the actors used to enter the world and and get into character, and I thought that that was fucking great. (laughs) I just loved that. So I love that you asked the question, like you know those questions, and that led you to Derek. I think that's amazing. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's interesting because I, you know, I think that's such an important part of design. It's such an important part of the theater. I mean you know you know when you see a play you're seeing a distilled version of a story right you're you're seeing a story that's told in an hour and a half or two hours or something like that and um so much is implied when you see a play um and that's true you know i think of the characters um you know who have a whole life that is not actually spoken on stage but it informs it informs their character, informs their choices, and informs what we feel as an audience member watching, watching a performance. It's all of that offstage life that's there, which the the production of June and the Peacock that you just mentioned, you know, I think was trying to capture. Um, but I think that's also very often true with with set design. I mean, there are set designs that show you everything on stage, but there are probably far more set designs uh, that don't show you everything that you, you are you know, sort of seeing as an audience member that they show you certain details, they show you certain slices of, of the character or the environment or the, the milieu, but the, the rest of it is implied. And that's, I think that's part of the exciting thing about the theater is that, you know, is as an audience member, our ability to fill in those, those pieces, those unseen or those unspoken pieces, that's part of what makes theater magic
1: is there a derek is there something that you always put into your set design that's like an easter egg for yourself or for your audience members like that you always figure that always put in or you're like nope i i am i'm i don't do that like what
0: you know if i do it uh i I do it unconsciously you know there's probably that would that would be called a tick uh a nervous tick probably Uh, A tell as a designer and probably I know that I have stylistic um, texts that show up in my sets because people have pointed them out to me sometimes but um, I actually do try to avoid that I, I really um, you know I, I, I never think that uh, uh, when I sit down to design a set that it's about me or my style it's about trying to discover a style that comes out of the story that comes out of a text and comes out of what a director wants to do with it I mean that's that's to me To me, that's the most exciting part of of set design when it is, you know, what I really really love about set design is that is sort of discovering, um, you know, the rules of that show, the rules of that production, Mm. which is another way of saying the world of the show. What is the world of what is the world of this play? What is the world of the show? And in doing that, you're often inventing its own, you know, you're inventing its own logic. and what's you know what's I think exciting sometimes about the set design process is that it's very often the first step that the director makes after they've you know after they've started working on the play where they actually have to make tangible some of the things that are are um, intangible. They have to actually make tangible some of the logic of the production because there has to be a physical world to actually perform the production. And it means you have to make certain choices about, about how does this world on stage gonna operate? How literal is it? How abstract is it? How mystical is it? How surreal is it? All of those things are things that sort of have to get answered as you start to start to design a set
1: you know that's incredible i you, i i only saw, i've only seen Moulin Rouge once uh, i would love to see it again cuz i i loved it so much and i loved the movie I and, do. And, and yeah i loved it and um i saw Gigi on Broadway and i'm thinking you know i'm trying to come up with the like the i feel like you and I loved beautiful as well but like i feel like you're so even in the the simplicity you get the you get movement so beautifully. Like there's a movement mm. to your sets. And even if they are, you know, there are shows that you've done that I would, you know, would love to go back in time and see, like Lestat and and Three mm-hmm. Penny Op yeah, and Three Penny Opera, you know, like there are so many projects that you've done. Uh and I and it was the it was the Cyndi Lauper production, correct? Was that the yes, pr- yeah. yeah? So Cindy
0: Lauper Alan, Alan Cummings uh
1: played McKeith. And I love that Tony performance so much. It's, yeah, that's you know, crazy. I would, lo- I would have, lo- I would love to go back in time and see that production. And you know, could always go to the public library, but, um, but in person, I just, I love your sets so much because they have such movement. No matter if they are, um, absolutely grand or on the simpler side, they have this beautiful movement to them, and they lend themselves to the stories, the world, the rules of the show in what in which is happening so much i think that's wonderful thank
0: you so much for saying that you know you just mentioned gigi which is interesting because that, that had a particular problem to it which was that we you know it's a, it's it's a big musical with a lot of sets in, you know in period paris in mm-hmm. 1890s paris which incidentally is the same period of moulin rouge which mm-hmm. is completely different completely different sort of flavor uh, to, you know, to, have, the, Gigi and Moulin Rouge are obviously very, very different versions of, you know, the same moment in time in, in, in Paris. Um, but, you know, sort of confronting confronting Gigi and thinking, you know, okay, we have a really limited budget and I've got to deliver this sort of, you know, this sense of grandeur in Paris at this at this time. Um, what am I going to do so that the stage doesn't look empty and cheap? Um, you know, because if I just try to if I just try to fill the stage each time for e- each individual scene, I'm doomed because we don't have enough. You know, we just don't have enough resources to, to 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 do that. And so, I decided to you know try to come up with a single bold gesture that dominated the stage that I could then add things to, mm. uh, take things away from. Uh, you know, throughout the evening. And then that was, you know, what that ended up being was this big sort of curved period cast iron staircase that was, was quite huge and had a big curve to it. And, and you know, it was, it was very much there all the time. But, um, it, you know, it was sort of an interesting thing for me to do because it meant I kind of made an obstacle for myself in the middle of the stage, which is this staircase, and then said, okay, now how do I figure out how to do all the scenes around that? But it, but it had the virtue of, of making the stage never empty and never feel, you know, even when we ran out, you know, even when we had scenes where we just sort of didn't really have any money left, it was sort of like, well, you can just put a chair on stage with that staircase and you'll still you'll still be okay.
1: Broadway shows even run out of money, my friends.
0: <laughs> oh, all the time. Every show runs, every show has a budget and it's never big enough. So it's, it's, it's sort of you know, whatever, whatever scale you're in, like people always say, oh, at Moulin Rouge, you must have had an unlimited budget, but I, you know, I didn't have an unlimited budget. I, there was a budget that I had to work with in, and, and I had plenty of, plenty of um, budget-cutting sessions trying to get that show to, to, you know, to work within the framework that uh,
1: that we had. And that world that you, uh, you know, the world that you establish right when you walk in the theater is so epic, you know, it's it's so great, and like, is it, is it the elephant or the Bastille? Is that what that is? Is that like- historic? That elephant.
0: That, so the elephant, um, the idea for the elephant, um, well, there, there's an elephant in the movie, of course. Um, right. And Satine's apartment is on top of the elephant. And when I was researching, um, you know, the actual Moulin Rouge at that time, there actually really was a real elephant um, that was in the back garden of the Moulin Rouge. You know, I thought this was an invention of the movie but it, it actually, really, it was actually really there in 1899. I think a little earlier, like maybe 1896, they bought it. There was a, a Paris Ex- exposition, which I believe was 1896, like a, a world's fair, and um, uh, they and they there was um, uh, on the garden outside the Louvre. Um, the, the, uh, there was a um, concrete or plaster elephant that was there. And Harold Zidler, who owned the Moulin Rouge, bought it from the World's Fair at the end of the World's Fair and had it moved to the, to the garden at the back of the uh, Moulin Rouge and he put a tea house in it. Uh, so you could go out on the garden, drink tea inside, in the, underneath this elephant or inside the elephant. And it was an incredible thing. Like when you see photographs of it, there's these beautiful black and white photographs so it was magnificently carved. Like whoever made that elephant, um for the paris exposition did a really fantastic job and so that was there and um you know i, I just couldn 't resist it, and so we basically made a copy of that um, in a way uh, and put it you know up in the box and you know the, I painted it blue, which it actually wasn 't but it just seemed like it should be blue
1: artistic license we 'd love it i just yeah. you know there's a I'm wondering if there's a and if there's any history buffs that are listening, call in and let me know if if what I'm saying is correct. But Victor Hugo also uses an elephant in Les Mis, and it's um, the elephant of the Bastille, and that's where Gavroche actually lives. Um, and they actually put it in the movie, which I found to be really fascinating. But it's in the book, um, and I just didn't know if there was a correlation between the two. If Victor Hugo also Experienced that same elephant was like I'm gonna put that in Les Miz, which I think is kind of amazing and um I love I I was like I can't imagine
0: I I don't know I don't know some of your callers who are smarter than we are will call will call in and tell us I can't imagine there being
1: (laughs) two elephants in Paris at the same time it's got to be the same one you know what I mean it's just gotta um, so since you're on your multi-hyphenate I want to ask the two of you what is a multi-hyphenate to you because I got my answers what's a multi-hyphenate to you and how would you identify one like what are your different hyphens your proficiencies Isla
2: okay uh, <laughs> i'll go first um you know i don't really think about I just do what I like to do, and mm-hmm. you know, it's sometimes in different areas. So I, I don't think about being a multi-hyphenate, but I do feel like sometimes I have two very full separate careers, and it's a lot to juggle.
1: It's eventually, it's like that's why I've I'm sort of talking about the multi-hyphenate because it's like this anti-label label. Yeah. But I had co- I had coffee with my friend this morning, and it's like she was like, how did this all happen? And I was like, because this is the only way that I know to create theater is to just figure out different ways to tell stories. Okay, maybe I'm not going to tell that story as an actor, but I could tell that story as a photographer and I could tell that story as a producer. That's not my story to tell, but I could help center it. You know what I mean? Whatever. And um, and the thing about it was the reason why I wrote this book, How to Be multi Multievident in Theater Business, was because so many people asked me like, how, how, how did, how are you doing that? And it's because I grew up with that mindset, but then of course my heady cancer ass, you know what I mean? Cause I'm a cancer and I'm a double cancer too. Um, I'm not only like, I can't just be like, Hmm, that's interesting. I have to go. Why is it like that? Why, wh- what are, what's the meat and potatoes behind that? So I <laughs> wrote a book about it and I think it 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 is ultimately to influence you to be like live a creatively free life, like do everything, do all of those things. Everyone should identify as a multi-hyphenate. Everyone should be a scenic designer and write a you know co-write a book about it. You know, it's like that's that's the joy about this. But um, but you know that's. I love that you said that because that's, I think the ultimate goal is to just follow those artistic impulses, but. Um, yeah,
0: I wouldn't
2: want to limit myself to just one thing. So if an opportunity comes up, if someone asks me to do something that interests me, why wouldn't I take that opportunity and do it?
1: Exactly. And, you know, theater is one of those things where it's like, we we should be, we we, could, we can learn on the job, certainly. I mean, you know, if you look at like the 1960s, um, like at, in like, I guess Catskills and Tamament, I think that's how you pronounce the Tamament. But, you know, when there was summer stock, it was like, the goal was to just put on a show and people just put on a show so they were building the sets, they were stage managing, and they were starring in the show. And I think ultimately, as we get as the as the industry has progressed, it's become uh like, mo- there's more harmful environments attached to that there's more environments where you know, artistic directors will hire young impressionable college students and it's like sweat, it's real sweat equity and not in a safe space. I think like the older spaces were where it was more like, all right, let's do this. Let's do what we can to put on the show. But I am of that school of thought of why, why, um, you know, uh, restrict myself from what I can learn and what I can experience, who knows what the possibilities are. So I love that you said that. Derek, what about you? What is a multi-hyphenate to you?
0: Well, uh, aside from fly fishing, which probably doesn't really count because that's really not part of the theater. Um, you know, I, I guess for me, it's that um, there is so much variety in the type of things that I, that I um, get opportunities to design, um, that uh, I mean, I really am just a set designer. I don't do anything else in the theater, but the, the but they but I, but I get to design. You know, I, I've designed the Academy Awards six times, and I've designed a bunch of television musicals, and I and I designed concert tours, and I you know I'm working on a nightclub in Las Vegas right now. Um, you know, which is really more of an architectural job. Um, and so, you know, it, it, th- these are all sort of tangents from set design, um, which, uh, you know, are really, are really exciting for me because, um, you know, when I start on any of these new things, I don't really have it, I don't really know what I'm doing. And so, I, you know, I have to, you know, when, when when Neil Marin and Craig Zaden called me up and asked me to design the Oscars the first time, I was sort of, you know, I was slightly dumbfounded. I thought, well, what, how, I have no idea how I'm gonna approach that. And, um, and so that was, you know, that's, but that's, that's an exciting place to live is, is, you know, when you get asked to do things that you don't really, uh, you don't really quite understand. You don't, you don't actually know how you're gonna do them at first. And you have to roll up your sleeves and actually say, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna figure this out. That's, I think that's one of the, that's what makes life exciting.
1: That is that's very true. And um yeah, I being a multi hyphenate is not it's not supposed to be about limiting yourself. It's about to it's about expanding and about you know understanding all aspects of the ways that you um mm-hmm. tell stories. So fly fishing, look, you know what? I'm not I'm not trying to be a gatekeeper here with the multi hyphenate, I just wrote the book on it. But if you can figure out some way to incorporate fly fishing into your multi-hyphenate identity, more power to you.
2: <laughs> and I Thank you. add for Derek that he's designed a room in the museum of Broadway.
1: Oh, that's amazing. That's it.
0: Oh yeah. There's actually another thing I did uh, two years ago, three years ago was I designed a, designed a room uh, about, it was sort of um, about show business about, Hollywood in the Swarovski Museum in Wattens, Austria. So if you ever, if any of the listeners here are ever in Wattens, Austria, um, or really any, you know, you don't even have to be in Wattens. If you find yourself in Innsbruck, take a take a 15 minute car ride over to Wattens and go to the Swarovski, Swarovski Museum and, um, and check out this room on, on Hollywood and entertainment. You won't be disappointed.
1: That's incredible. I am a quarter Austrian, and I hope to make it to Austria one day. So, um, when I do, it's I a will let you. Country. I I I I feel a quarter beautiful. So that's you know it's <laughs> it's perfect. We're gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna get back into more designing Broadway after these messages. And we're back. <laughs> ah, the magic of podcast editing. We, you know, sat in silence for three seconds. <laughs> uh, um, so now we talk about the why about creating this book. Let's talk about the how. How do you start writing a book together? Did you have a publisher lined up or did you write a proposal, get all your ducks in a row and shop it around? Like, where did you even start?
2: Um, Well, it started with conversations between Derek and myself, and then I brought it to someone who I thought would be the right person to publish it for us. So we didn't go the traditional publisher route. We actually worked with a packager who then brought it to a publisher.
1: That's incredible. Uh, You know, I think it's sort of in cahoots with finding an agent manager in the industry. It's the way that I got my publisher was, um, You know, I asked a friend who is a uh, a junior publisher at William Morris Publishing, and they told me that I needed to um, do this whole proposal. And I made like a 76-page proposal, and they were like, okay, that's great. Can you cut it in half? And I was like, sure, 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 sure. So I did. And then they rejected it. They were like, this isn't for us. And I was like, okay, no problem. I put it down for a second. And I got an email from Rafael Hyen, who is the chair of the theater department at the University of Massachusetts, Boston. And he emailed me asking for permission to use a photo of mine in his book. And I was like, so what, like, tell me more about the book because I have this idea. And he said, this is during the pandemic. He said, can you Zoom first thing in the morning? And- he literally is like, I'm going to help you publish this book. And he introduced me to his publishers and then got a book deal. And it was like, so amazing. And that's how I feel like a lot of agents and managers are also happen for actors as well. Like there's the, you know, oh my God, why, why aren't you represented? I'm going to introduce you to my, my, you know, my agent, my manager, and then magic happens. It's, that sort of networking is so magical in this industry. And I feel like so many people write that off. Like, do you both have an experience in the industry where networking or net weaving, as I call it in my book, really has sort of um, proven to be a tried and true way of getting out there?
2: Um, I I think it happens all the time. Um, I mean, this experience was very different. Usually I do go the traditional agent Mm -hmm. root so this was this was definitely um an outlier Mm. for
1: me that's incredible derek what about you like networking for you
0: well i think i'm a terrible networker but um (laughs) i you know i suppose um you know, yes, I work with people I'm, I am know and I'm friends with all the time. It's just, you know, it, it, and sometimes it's sometimes it's in surprising ways. Like that example I gave before of the Oscars, you know, um, you know, Neil Maron and Craig Zaden. i worked with them once on um, on a show, which was uh, they were producers of How to Succeed in Business mm-hmm. uh, um, with the version with with Daniel Radcliffe that we did. And. Um, and we did that show and um you know and then a year later they they called me up and asked me to do the Oscars, and you know obviously that wouldn't have happened i think if we didn't know each other already from from having done that that broadway show together and they you know they felt like i was somebody that they could work with and so you know i think that's very that's very very typical of of, you know how how this business works like any business i think really that's people people want to you know People want to work with people that they feel they can work well with. It's it's such a collaborative business that that's, you know, I think it's it's scary for people to start new relationships in the theater sometimes because um, because it is difficult sometimes. You know, every show runs into difficult uh, patches, difficult times, and so you know you you want to work with people that you trust.
1: I think people really really write off um, networking and net weaving because they're scared of it, but sometimes networking really is just you showing up and doing a good job and being a good person. That's all it, that's all it really is. That's really, yeah, I think
0: that's, that's right. You know, and and, and, and being kind to people.
1: Being kind is huge. And, Other times, like, other times it is reaching out. Other times it is, like, how Isla and I met. Like, we connected on social media. And I sent you a message Mm -hmm. being like, I'm not sure, like, if you would go for this. But I would love to have you and Carol on, you know, uh, on my podcast talking about this. And the reason why I said I would love to have you and Carol on is because, one, Carol... I think having someone she knows in that space would put ease to her, you know, but then also I didn't want to feel like I was using you. I, I wanted to make sure that your story was just as important and that your space, y- your presence in the space was just as important as Carol Burnett's because you're working on this together. I didn't ever want you to think I was just using you to get to her. And I, honestly, I could have easily just been like, is there a way to get Carol on podcast? But because you are a human being artist, your point of view is just as important. So I wanted to make sure that the two of you spoke together. And we did. (laughs) It was so much fun. And it was such a great conversation. It was, I'm (laughs) so glad that you both came on. And I think also Carol did feel a little safer, not, you know what I mean? Just to not be thrown into this space by herself, but, um, but yeah, sometimes you do have to reach out. Sometimes you do have to show up to that party. Sometimes you do have to um, you know, when I was a butt, when I was a budding photographer, I had to show up to gigs that I did not want to do, but I got to meet some really good people in those situations. That actually got me into rooms that I did want to be in. So as I think as long as we're open to those ideas, um, then networking ain't so bad, you know?
2: I think there's, you know, I mean, if there's a negative connotation to networking, it, it seems maybe that people see that it's some calculated move, but actually it's just showing up and talking to people. And, you know, if you connect with someone and an opportunity arises from that, that's fantastic.
1: I think we, we as drama kids, right? The three of us are just drama kids. That's all we are. We're 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 theater geeks. We're drama kids, and when people try to say that they're not, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to work with you. But um, but also like it's you know there's there's um there's growth that comes with that. But at heart, we love the theater. We love the television and film industries. Well, not maybe not the industries itself, but the art of it. And um, we and I I feel that um. Because we love that art form so much that networking really ultimately is just gathering an ensemble because we as professionals, um, unless you book a show, which is few and far between for many people, even, you know, even the big one, the big names. An ensemble isn't given to you like it was in high school or college. We have to find our people. We have to find our ensemble. So my way of doing that is reaching out, is saying, hey, i love your work. Like, want to come to the studio? I'd love to get to know you. And, you know, spending time with me, I'll get these photos for you, which you're going to use. Like, um, I think that's, what are they going to do? Say no? They say no, then you move on. And one day, maybe down the road, but. That's all. That's all networking should be. Yeah. And it's amazing that there are, you know, workshops about networking, but really (laughs) networking comes from here. It's, it's a very personal way. And people really hate it. As soon as whenever I'm talking with people about in my workshops or whatever about networking, the eyes roll. It's because I think some people think it is a massive, but, um, Derek, for you, like, when you started designing, um, how, like, how did you land your first Broadway gig? Like, what, I think there are a lot of podcasts on how to start as an actor, how to start as a writer, how to start as a director. But for a scenic designer, like, what, how did you get from A to B to the Oscars?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, it was, um, I did not get my first Broadway show early. I did, um, you know, I was in my mid-thirties when I got my first my first Broadway show. Um, so I've, you know, I've been working for, you know, I've been working for a while, um, and uh, I've done a lot of off-Broadway shows. And um, you know, I got that that first show. I literally got um, because. Um, uh, my sister-in-law was a, a set designer, and she uh, she wasn't able to do a show. She um, oh. and she she passed my name on to the producers and, and recommended me because she wasn't able to do it. And so that's literally how I got my first uh, my first my first Broadway show. You know, and I did my first musical until I was my first Broadway musical until I was nearly forty. Um, wow. So um, you know, I feel like. I, I, you know i i didn't feel like it sort of happened you know all that easily or instantly it took you know took a while to 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 get there so i i had designed you know a lot of a lot of off-broadway shows and a lot of regional theater shows by the time i started um to, by the time i started designing on broadway and it was very hard you know and 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 i, I it was a little frustrating at first because you know in new york people you know, um, there was that sort of catch twenty two where people said, "Well, yeah, but what have you designed on Broadway?" Um, you know, and it was, just, you know, I sort of felt like I was invisible to the Broadway community because I hadn't designed anything on Broadway, yeah. and um, the fact that I had designed, you know, a hundred shows elsewhere or whatever it was didn't 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 seem particularly meaningful to anybody because mm. they hadn't seen them, and so. Um, you know, there's one of those conundrums that people face when they're trying to get get a foothold. Is sort of how how do you how do you get a foothold? How do you get to do something that people will see that people will notice when you don't have the opportunity to, to do that? And so it does require, you know, I think it requires working hard, but it also often requires a little bit of luck. Hmm. You know, where there's you know a lot of times those first jobs are jobs that somebody else can't do or somebody more established drops out of or whatever happens. And um, so you have to be ready. You have to jump in, you know, often with not enough time because the person dropped out and that's the deadlines are upon you. And so you've got to you've got to jump you've got to be ready to sort of jump in and take advantage of that of that opportunity.
1: You said something really interesting, and that's, you know, such a correlation to actors in the city. It's like, if you weren't on Broadway, then, you know, there are people that don't want to invest time in, in you. And that's, it's such a hurtful thing, but it's also such a weird thing. It's, you know, it's, it's for so many, I just had a client today that we were talking about their Broadway debut and they said, you know, when they walked into the space, it was like, it was just another gig. And Mm. it's amazing that we're sometimes we hold people, you know, I've been treated in a certain way where it's like, Oh, you're an actor. What have you done? And then as soon as you say, you know, if you don't lead with Broadway or television or film credit, then, you know, they start looking around you and it's such (laughs) a, it's, it's like, but you, you were totally get it. You were totally, you know, uh, ignoring the other gifts that i have that i can that you can benefit because i'm here for you but if you're choosing to you know if you're choosing to ignore that then i can't help you
0: you know on the other hand i also i you know i guess as i've gotten older i i i also appreciate the anxiety that uh, producers sometimes feel about this because if you are doing, let's say you're producing a Broadway musical, the um, the amount of money that the set costs is so you know huge, it's such a significant part of the budget um, that you know it, you do feel there is a there is an understandable reticence about taking risk on who's gonna who's gonna do that. You you know you want to be able you want to know you're getting something of a known entity when you when you make that higher and and, you know not only is it expensive but the other thing is by the time you get to the theater you can't change it it's like (laughs) the set is by the time the actors are on stage that first day it is done there's it's you've spent you spent all you spent the millions of dollars on it already and you you know to change it would be you know would would just be an astronomical amount of money so so I, i think some of the risk aversion comes from that um, but on the other hand, when you're, when you're trying to break into the business, that's not a particularly helpful is it's not particularly comforting to know that I think the other way, the other way people make that transition, which is, you know, it, it, probably more typical than what I, than what I did is if you have a show that's a hit somewhere else and it moves to Broadway, mm-hmm. you know, that's. That's the most seamless way to to sort of enter, you know, the Broadway community. I think both as an actor and as a, as a designer and a director, and you know, really in anything, you know, you if people can see the show somewhere else, and they know that it's great, and they're moving it because they believe in it and they think it's great, and you're already a part of that, then you then you can you can kind of buy you can kind of bypass that that step of having to prove yourself.
1: This is such an interesting conversation because I think people think the different proficiencies that are in the theater scenic designer actor director that everyone is so different that the proficiencies are so different but there's not much that separates all of us you know like an actor can make his broadway debut by being in an out-of-town tryout same with the scenic designer same with the director you know there's there's so much that that brings us all together the experiences bring us together that you know there's there should always be more unity in this industry that's you know i just i just don't i f- well i find it more in the college circuit where it was like the actors stood st- you know stood together there's more based on like how the classes were structured but like you know we're all we're all there's not much that separates us other than like skill set you know but um that's also another reason why I think we should explore more in that multi-hyphenate uh, identity. It's, there's not much that separates all of us. So learn how to use a power tool and learn how to, you know, learn how to work with scale and learn, you know, just try what happens. What happens if you get a sewing machine and you just teach yourself how to sew? What happens, you know? So there's, there's, uh, is there a project out there that you're like, I sort of similar question to like do you have a dream role but like is there a story out there that you're like golly gee I would love to put that on stage
0: you know um there I, there is a, I, I have one that I, I'm sort of noodling on I'm not going to reveal it right now because it's 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 story because it's it's um I don't want you to steal it um I won't <laughs> but uh there is, I mean, you know, the other thing I would, there, there's a lot of shows that I haven't designed and I would love to design. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of existing pieces that I would love to do a revival of and um, you know, that's, it, that, I think that we all have a list of those, of those projects, favorite shows that, you know, that we saw when we were young and have always wanted to uh, crack, a crack at uh, doing on our own.
1: What are your what are you, both of your hopes and dreams and wishes for this book? Like who is the uh who is the target audience and what do you want them to get out of it?
2: You know, I feel like anyone who is interested in theater is our target audience mm-hmm. because you know, I did not go into this project as an expert in design by any means, um, you know, I didn't really know all that much about set design, except that it really was an interesting subject for me. You know, I think the audience has a unique relationship with a set because you get to the theater and you have all this time that you spend looking at the set before the show starts. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: So, um, you know, for me, I really learned so much from talking with Derek, for sure. And on top of that, all the other designers and and not just designers, you know, Ethan Hawke did our forward and he's interviewed in the book and we have wonderful directors like Kenny Leon, Kathleen Marshall. Uh, you know, there's so many people that are a part of this book. So it it is about the sets, but it's also about collaboration it's about just the art of theater it you know in, in some cases it's just the stories of particular shows so really it's it's such a wide range for people
1: i'm so honored that the two of you came and spoke with me under multi multi it where can we purchase the book and um, where can we follow you on social media and learn more about the two of you
0: Buy the book. Uh, you know, uh, many bookstores. It's at the Drama Bookstore. Uh, it's at Barnes and Noble. It's you can buy it online um, pretty easily. Um, it's it's just a lot of smaller bookstores in the around New York City. Um, it's, I think Shakespeare and Company has it, and um, a couple of bookstores in the Village have it. So it's it's uh, it's kicking around.
2: It's very exciting to see it in the store. <laughs>
1: That's so cool. I love that so much.
2: <laughs> I never
1: i love that yeah that's exciting it's it's very cool from personally seeing my book at the drama bookshop it's like whoa
2: cool yeah you know <laughs> you want to tell everyone in the store <laughs> yeah that's my book Everybody,
1: exactly my face is my face is on the book so i'm like do you oh, wow. No, I'm just kidding.
2: yeah
1: <laughs> um <laughs> where can we find the two of you on social media if that's a thing for you
2: well i am on instagram my name which is impossible for most people to spell but it's isla mel but you'll you'll link that i hope yeah of
1: course
0: (laughs) and i'm at i'm at, at derek mclean
1: I am so honored, as always, Isla, that you are joining me on Multi-Hyphenate and bringing incredible rabble-rousers to, get to have this conversation, and um, I thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, for the two of you for joining me in this space, and I can't wait to talk to you again.
2: Well, I can't wait to be the person to come on the third time for the first time. <laughs>